if you can just find the right mountain to climb, that's the most important thing you can do. I, I worry that some, some entrepreneurs, they're climbing up the wrong mountain. They're never gonna be able to build the business they wanna build because they're on the wrong opportunity. Hello and welcome to another edition of Expedition Business, where we talk to inspiring entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of their business journey and how on earth they managed to keep the flame of business adventure burning. My name is Christelle Rosley Fenter, and today I have the privilege of talking to Paul Smith, co-founder of Civitas. But before we get to Paul, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe and like Expedition Business on your favorite podcast platform and share it with as many of your friends and family as possible. Without your support, we cannot continue to share more stories of successful South African entrepreneurs. But back to Paul. Paul Smith is a serial entrepreneur and writer. He has founded several companies in various industries, from boat manufacturing to innovation consulting. He currently runs Civitas, a private network for high-growth businesses in South Africa. He has a BCom from Rhodes University and a master's degree in entrepreneurship from the University of Pretoria. Paul, what inspired you to start Civitas Network? So I think, um, so my background um, was initially my first dip my toes into the, the startup world and entrepreneurial world when I was in the boat building business mm -hmm. and um, really struggled. Um, it wasn't, it didn't go, <laughs> go particularly well. And um, I sort of started reading a bunch of the business books. And then after that, uh, I exited to my partner. He still runs the business. Um, I took some time off and decided that uh, what looked like an interesting career would be one in entrepreneurship education. So spent a, a couple years in the academic world, so sort of lecturing at UJ and Fitz Business School and um, doing a, a master's and sort of the first half of a PhD. And um, what was interesting there is that I came across a, a vein of studies which had outsized impact on business success. So for my masters, um, uh, what I did was trying to understand why um, high growth entrepreneurs, uh, people who were in business for 10 years or more, why some of them stayed lifestyle and when other people built big businesses. Mm -hmm. And um, the study didn't really produce any sort of major insights. So for my PhD, I started looking at basically like predictive studies. So studies that were really good at being able to predict um, why business succeeded. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was interesting about that is that we're really bad at that. We're not very good uh, in the academic world. I think mm -hmm. some of the, uh, some of the, the, the practitioners are probably a little bit better, mm -hmm. but we're, we're really not great at being able to predict or change the odds of someone succeeding. And that was completely different to this vein of network studies. So um, to just I'll give you a couple of practical examples is that 
the average success rate of businesses in South Africa over a five-year period mm-hmm. is around about 20, 25% if you take abroad businesses. So it's it's a really small number succeeding um, over five years. The, I think the global average is around 50%. So if you take 100 businesses and five years later, only 50 of those 100 are still going to be around. Weirdly enough, in the Amish communities, uh, you know, Amish, those people who anti-technology, mm-hmm. there are about 10,000 businesses. They have about a 90 to 95% success rate over okay. a five-year period. So if the 100 Amish businesses start, um, five years later, 90 or 95 are still in business. Wow. Which is like insane. And some of them are like decent sized businesses, you know, employing 50, 100 people doing 100, 200 million revenue. So they're, they're not like all just like really small businesses. Some of them are actually doing, you know, we would consider a medium sized business in this country. Mm-hmm. So, what would be the reason why they are so much more successful? So, um, the, the, the there are like a number of reasons. So I mean, those that study sort of has been replicated again and again in other communities. So uh, there's a great book by Keith Ferdinand which looked at um, ten, I think it was ten businesses that went from fifty million dollars to a billion dollars, and then they did a comparison study of competing companies that were at fifty million dollars but didn't really make the leap and didn't grow. And what was weird about um, the businesses that went to the billion is all of them were part of networks like communities of entrepreneurs. And um, yeah, it, it really changed the odds. So that was sort of the, the genesis behind why we started Civitas. And then to circle back to your question around what are the reasons why, I think the big, big reasons in the Amish case were one, um, community support. So basically you were the Amish businesses support each other. Two, I think they have the Amish as like an incredible culture. So they work really hard. They work long hours. They're honest. Um, so, so really good cultural things. And then the third one is they have a very strong apprenticeship system. So if you're going to go start a farm, you would actually go work on someone's farm for a while, get, get a hang of it. Um, and then there's also a lot of mentorship from the elderly people who've been in business. So it's being kind of surrounded by people who've done it before, who, who can kind of guide you on the journey. And, and that was sort of, is similar to sort of the crazy idea of Silicon Valley, where you have this insane one city in the world, but it's producing the majority of tech unicorns. Mm-hmm. And there are thousands of cities in the world, but one of them produces all these billion dollar tech companies. Like what's going on? Same thing. A lot of apprenticeship, a lot of IP, a lot of shared knowledge, a lot of supporting each other, um, like a density of talent. So all of that like contributes to to basically really moving the needle uh, on business succeeding. Well, just very out of curiosity, my knowledge about the Amish community is not that uh, massive, but if they are against technology, how do they get their businesses to billion dollar sizes? No, the Amish just don't. The Amish businesses are more small businesses. So they're not billion dollar businesses in the Amish thing. They're more, I think, like furniture manufacturers, uh, farmers. Um, 
Uh, so they're decent-sized businesses, though. So some of them will be like 50 employees. The, the, the sort of Silicon Valley is where you see the, these, these billion-dollar companies. Okay. The Amish businesses are more successful small businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that um, it's kind of unbelievable that they many of them don't have the use of technology. I mean, it's quite interesting as the, in the Amish community, you actually have different sex, depending on which community you're part of. Mm-hmm. Um, some allow way more technology than others. So some you're allowed to use a computer. The very traditional ones, you're not even allowed to use an electric saw type thing. Oh so it goodness. kind of very depends on which Amish community you belong to. Okay, so you need to choose really, really well. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, but something that I'm pretty curious about is you've chosen to go for the high growth market as opposed to the ordinary run of a mill um, entrepreneurs, uh, artisans, those type of people. What would be the reason for that? So from an economic perspective, um, often in some of the the industries where basically um, there's a lot of competition and the pie is the same size. So say for example, um, you live in a small town and there are three plumbers and there's so much plumbing work being done in that small town. Mm-hmm. A fourth plumber joins, he doesn't actually grow the economy. He just divides that pie by four people instead of three because there's the same amount of plumbing work required. Okay, unless the town um, grows. So, exactly, unless the town grows, then, then it, would, it would make sense. But um, often what you see um, is, is that if you look at who really contributes to job creation, innovation, and basically progress um, of living standards, not to say that some uh, sort of lifestyle businesses don't do that. I think some do and some don't, depending like which macro niche you got into. But I think in, in general, these businesses that really scale and enable to scale new products and services that touch uh, hundreds of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people really raise the living standard and, and really contribute to progress. And that's sort of where I was one of the big reasons we focused on the hyper growth businesses. I think is that, that, that from a progress perspective, you focus on businesses that are going to have a bigger impact on the tax base, on living standards, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then just from a selfish perspective, I think it's also a little bit more interesting working with new innovative technologies um, as opposed to um, businesses that kind of there's a formula to it. You learn the formula, repeat the formula. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also was kind of a little bit more just attracted to sort of businesses working on the edge of a field. Okay. Did your academic background have any effect on what you're doing right now? Yeah, big time. So I think there were a couple of big things I, I learned from the academic world. I think one of it uh, was probably the biggest impact on me was the, the scientific method. So I think that, that being exposed to sort of a rigorous methodology for understanding truth um, was was a big impact on sort of my world's view and how I think about anything and looking at data and trying to understand um, what's actually going on. So that was that was sort of the academic world really impacted that worldview. I think then also um, from a the perspective of 
understanding um, what models really help entrepreneurs. Um, so, for example, there were some some training studies <laughs> that were done where what they did is they got a bunch of entrepreneurs and then a whole bunch of other ones they left alone. And then they trained a bunch of entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurs that got trained did worse <laughs> okay. than the people who were left alone, which was like, oh, my God. So, so it was kind of interesting around what type of ideas and training really has an impact on increasing profitability, on getting businesses to grow. So I think that I became sort of very skeptical around which ideas and which practices truly help entrepreneurs succeed and uh, which ones are just people saying they help entrepreneurs succeed, but there's no evidence or data mm -hmm. that they do. Or it might just hinder their success. Yeah, I mean, the whole um, folklore for many years was that, yeah, we need to write a business plan, a business plan. A couple of studies being done, like writing a business plan really had no impact on whether business succeeded or failed. Um, so that practice, even though it might have taken a couple of weeks, wasn't increasing the odds that businesses succeeded. However, things like running through a customer development process like Steve Blank does at um, Stanford University. He runs like an eight-week course. Like lots of good data that really moves the needle that businesses succeed. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the more you know what can go wrong, the more you would be hesitant to go out and just get it done? Um, I think that um, in some cases um, I've seen it where people have failed in business. So they've put a lot of money and time and effort into building a business that hasn't worked out. There's definitely, I think, um, a loss of like a risk aversion creeps in mm. um, in some people. But I think other people, that type of experiences just gets them to be a little bit more skeptical mm. um, around which opportunities to pursue and how to manage risk in the business world. I mean, there was a, one of my favorite studies that was done um, was done by a lady called Sasa Vathy, a professor uh, in the States, and, and they looked at super entrepreneurs, so entrepreneurs that had started, I think, at least three companies, if I remember correctly, and had at least listed one. Mm -hmm. So you're listing a company, you know, that's like a real. And what ended up happening for them when they had failed is they actually learned risk mitigation strategies around how do you start a business without taking big risk. Mm -hmm. um, Malcolm McGraddle's actually got an amazing article on this sort of whole philosophy on the risk-averse entrepreneur that actually the really smart entrepreneurs look for asymmetric risk where what they can do is, is take some kind of risk, but um, there's a huge upside potential, but if it's, the, the downside potential is actually not big. So for example, like someone like Richard Branson, when he started uh, Virgin Airlines, what he did is he didn't risk the whole Virgin Empire. What he did instead was, uh, say, negotiated with the airlines that he could rent the planes for a, a, a period of time. And then if it didn't work out, if it wasn't profitable, he could he could cancel the contracts and give mm -hmm. the planes back. Mm -hmm. So he knew upfront how much money and time he was willing to put in to see if this enterprise endeavor would work. And that's, I think, a smart approach to actually say, okay, cool, we're gonna run an experiment, we're gonna run a bet, 
and see what happens. You don't want to lose the fa- the whole farm when starting a new business. So I think it's intelligent to basically be somewhat cautious, um, but then t- still take the thing. And I think there are methods to do that. Mm-hmm. It does make sense, definitely. But it sounds like yeah, you obviously have a lot of knowledge and I've read somewhere that you have read over 500 books and two and a half thousand studies. How on earth is this possible? Uh, it's kind of weird. So I, I went a phrase where I just read a book a week. Um, and it's not too difficult if, if you think the average book's like five, six hours of reading. It's, it's usually one hour a day. So I did that for many years. And then I do audio books now. So often when you go for a walk, if you do an hour walk a day, you know, you can usually get through a book in a week or two. Um, so that's that. And then the studies was just uh, for my PhD. I spent a lot of time like just scouring the, all the entrepreneurship literature. Um, but what was, what's been fascinating about the whole reading study type thing is that actually I probably learned a little more uh, running these CEO groups mm-hmm. over time where you're practically learning what's working and what's not working. So we have in Civitas, we have a, a what we're calling the Sifkin CEO playbook yes. where what we've done is as we work with many of these fast growing businesses, we kind of learn what works and what doesn't work. So which marketing agencies actually deliver results, which don't. Now that's something you can't really get on a book like which, which freelancer should I use that's actually going to do a good job mm-hmm. versus one that's not going to do a good job. Mm-hmm. And and the, the way you learn that is you actually chat to people who've used those freelancers. They go, no, well, they're amazing. And they like, I used them and basically they doubled my revenue in six months. These guys are incredible on LinkedIn. They really know their, their stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been super cool to be able to sit in these these groups and learn from some of the some of the fast growing businesses in the country. You mentioned South Africa. Are you currently in all the cities in South Africa or just Johannesburg? So we run uh, basically like a virtual offering and an in-person offering. The in-person offering is in Joburg and Cape Town. And then the virtual offering is countrywide. In fact, we have a number of people who were in Joburg and Cape Town and have immigrated to Portugal and the UK and London and the States. And they've actually stayed members. They found the community so valuable that they've stayed part of it. Wow. So we do have a, a number of global members and a number of like people in Durban and Blom and Zermatt. Yeah. Wow. Sounds super, super exciting. But I assume with you starting Civitas, you do not believe that we already have enough entrepreneurial network societies in South Africa. So I think what we do is slightly different to like networking. I think we're more of an education company Mm -hmm. um, where what we're trying to do is say, how do you as an entrepreneur get the ideas and knowledge and stay on the cutting edge of of what's working in business in a fun and easy way? And um, if you look at um, the data on successful entrepreneurs, many of them have really great networks. So if they need to get something done, they know who to call. And uh, I think what we do is we do two things. One, we help with expose, enabling top founders to connect with other top founders. 
but then also see what they're doing and and basically learn in a fun way. So we run these unique learning experiences where we'll do private dinners with interesting thought leaders or top CEOs and small groups of 10 people. And that's a really fun evening out. You know, you're going and you're meeting a bunch of really cool other entrepreneurs. You're learning from some uh, business leader that you might not be able to get a, a coffee with or dinner with. And it's it's just a rad experience that enriches your life, but at the same time, you're also deepening your business knowledge. So we've tried to make it more of a, a, a lifestyle way to learn. Um, I also think that what we're doing, which is different to some of the other networks, is, is we're almost like a hybrid of um, basically like a, a, a CEO forums, where you get CEOs getting in small groups and learn, or mastermind groups, plus um, basically codifying the best practice of how do you take a business from early stage to hundreds of millions of revenue. So I don't think that's been done and open sourced with anyone in the country. If it has, I don't think it's, I'm not familiar with it or I don't think it's been done particularly well. So our goal would be to really open source this in time where we go, you know, we've taken hundreds of companies to a hundred million. We've walked the journey with them and we've taken a number to a billion and kind of this is everything we've learned and it's open source and available to everyone in the country who's looking looking to scale. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, that's sort of um, very different to sort of a BNI uh, where people are meeting just the whole goal is referrals. Mm. Uh, we actually have a no selling policy as part of the network. Um, so yeah, definitely it's learning and connecting with other interesting people. That's the core of what we do as opposed to just networking, which, which we find is yeah, just a bit of a, so it's like not a term that like really sort of resonates with us. Mm. We, we prefer the idea of like education, connecting and learning from other cool people, you know, doing okay. cool stuff. You've mentioned BNI, but how do you differ from organizations like YPO? So YPO, I think, um, is a global organization that's been going around for many, many years. So we young, we like four years old, four and a half years old. I think they've been going 50 or might even be 80 years. I'm not sure the exact mm-hmm. start date, but they've been around for a long, long time. So they're global. They've got 30,000 members. Uh, they are organizations focused on people doing hundreds. Uh, I, th- I think the entry criteria is somewhere between $12 million in annual revenue up to mm-hmm. 20 or 25, depending on the industry. I think they've got, you can go on their website and check out mm-hmm. the criteria. Our criteria is, you know, do you have a shot at building a hundred million rand business? So we'll take anyone who's doing over a million rand in revenue, or they have exceptional experience. So we've got like some ex-McKinsey people, ex-Bain people, where they we, they joined us as startups, mm-hmm. um, or people who had uh, built and exited a business. Yes. So um, for, we've got a number of people who've who've sold their businesses, built a, a business to, you know, fifty million plus, and then they're starting again, but they had zero. So um, we rather just look at the caliber of the person and say, is this someone I would respect and admire? Can I learn from them? Do Have they got a shot at building a, a decent-sized business? Are they wanting to build a decent-sized business? And then how do we support them? So I would say, and then there's a number of different nuances on how we manage our network, which is different to YPO. You know, we only have 200 members, so much, much smaller um, than YPO. And you're not planning to increase that 200 members? Now we are. So our goal is to try attract the top few hundred members in all the cities across the country. 
So um, we're looking to to roll out. Uh, we're in Cape Town now, but we want to roll out Durban and Bloom and um, and uh, hopefully then eventually move into Europe and the UK um, in the next few years. So we definitely um, are, are keen to basically keep growing the membership base. Um, I think uh, South Africa is in a, in a bit of a desperate space uh, when it comes to the the economic policy, and it makes it really really hard and uh, for job creation. So um, our goal is to really just give every entrepreneur the best shot at building a big business. So how do we become like a good barrel for businesses looking to succeed? Um, and if we can, if anyone's got potential of building a big business and we can make their journey a little bit easier, we want to help that person. Mm-hmm. But Paul, just quickly, you're talking about other businesses. When it comes to your business, more on a personal level, what makes you feel on top of the world? On the business side of things, eh? So I really like when everything's running slickly and smoothly. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> I'm not so good if it's if things are things are not all um, really um, going swimming. So I I really like to, yeah. I just like it when we're on top of everything and things are growing nicely. Yeah. I would say that's that's great. And then I love great CEO groups when you get to go and meet with six or seven really cool entrepreneurs that are smart and nice people mm-hmm. and you have interesting conversations and, and, and really help solve each other's problems. Like that is such a high. It's like I'm very, I feel very privileged to, to sit in some of these forums or CEO groups as we mm-hmm. call them. I can imagine it's extremely inspiring to talk to them. Yeah, it's super cool. I think uh, you're going into a group and you're learning a whole bunch of new stuff every time and uh, helping uh, with introductions and solving each other's challenges. It's, it's, it's a fun way to spend two hours. Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned challenges. Uh, what would be your major challenges that you have to face? In, 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 the, in the business? In the business, but yeah, overall as well. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, at the business at the moment, um, we're still small, right? so we're still early stage, only 200 members. Um, the, the 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 sort of, our, I'll give you a little bit of the background. The first step was finding a model that would scale, which I think we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were cracking a little bit of marketing, which we started a couple of months back, and it seems to be going well now. I think we've kind of solved that. So now the next step is uh, just solving the licensing model. So how do we find someone who's really cool, um, someone who's also inspired about the uh, mission of, of helping entrepreneurs succeed and be willing to set up one of these communities in other cities. And how do we help people do that? So that's sort of the big challenge in the business at the moment is building that whole model out. Um, and then I think um, the other big challenge we have is, is, is how do we have more positive impact on our members? So I think we built some model that, that, that is, is helpful in some way but we would love it to become uh, kind of like a true Silicon Valley or there's a, an accelerator we love called Y Combinator where they, they have like outsized impact on the businesses. And we think a lot about how do we increase the positive impact? How do we help with more and better introductions? How do we help with more and better advice, better resources? How do we take someone who's maybe struggling, stressed and turn that business into a high growth business where they're getting out of ops, they're loving it, they're enjoying it. Uh, so I think that coming up with that formula, we're always trying to improve. Um, and I think behavioral change is, is hard and, and growing 
fast growing business is hard. So it's not sort of an easy thing to do, but yeah, that's, that's something else that really keeps us up at night and we really think about a lot. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you've always got things under control. I suppose you never get a moment where you feel like running away. Um, I don't know about running away, but I do know that there's some days you just want to, you like done and you definitely want to go to sleep. I mean, we've got a lot going on. So we're a small team. It's just three of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, helping 200 businesses and coordinating all of the events and everything. It's a lot at the moment. Plus, we're also building out systems and, and software and um, uh, basically doing all the marketing and stuff. So I think sometimes, yeah, the weekends appreciate it every now and then <laughs> where you just want a bit of a break and then uh, refuel the tanks and come back at it hard. Okay. And what is the fun and exciting ways that you use to regroup, refocus and rejuvenate? Oh, I, I like uh, getting outdoors. Um, I'm a bit of a trail runner, so I just enjoy some time in the mountains running. That's really, really great. I do a little bit of meditation, um, a little bit of journaling. Um, so that, those are usually sort of my things. And then time with friends, you know, oh, I wow. think um, things. And then I think probably the most common share we get from founders when, when burning out is just take a holiday, just organize a week off somewhere and go mm. do nothing. It's amazing how that just refreshes almost anyone, no matter how uninspired you're feeling about your business. So and that seems to be a, a super good go-to. Uh-huh. So what would be your ideal holiday? My ideal holiday? Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoy adventure. So, I don't know, running running over a mountain uh-huh. or chilling on the beach are probably like my two favorite ways okay. to spend your time. Yeah, the, my, my, we've got a family cottage on the north coast, so going and spending a little bit of time chilling there, um, just lazy days on the beach. Are okay, but there's not a lot of mountains to run over in the north coast. Was that enough <laughs> no, no, for you? No, I prefer that. That I prefer the Drakensberg or somewhere in the Cape. Okay, so you've mentioned the trail running. Any exciting races that you've done? So I recently did the sky run in Cape Town last weekend, which was okay. brutal. I'm pretty unfit. I had an ankle injury, so I had to take six months off. So I'm only a couple of weeks back into training and uh, probably bit off a little bit more than I could chew. I was meant to run the Hearties Trail Loop this weekend. It looks looked like an amazing run. Unfortunately, I've got a bit of flu, so I'm going to sit that one out. And then I've got um, Otter Trail coming up, which oh, wow. is um, the only time. Uh, yeah, it's a one-day race on the Otter Trail, mm-hmm. which is quite lacquer because um, you actually can't run it except for that race mm. uh, because it's mm. obviously in a reserve. Yes. So that's, I'm looking really forward to that. But um, it's going to be quite tight with how, how fit I get with the um, with it coming up. Yeah. yeah, that is a super, super exciting race to add to your calendar. Any hundred milers yeah. in your prospect? No, I prefer my, I like my sleep too much. Okay. <laughs> I like to be in bed by eight or nine or 10. Um, yeah, so I don't think any hundred milers. I am with a bunch of mates who are planning to run the Grand Traverse mm-hmm. over a couple of days, which will be cool. Um, so the Grand Traverse is, is basically the Drakensberg yes. and it's basically running it end to end. Mm. So we're looking at doing that. Um, we were going to do it this year, but with my injury and stuff, probably next year. I think that that would be a fun. And then the other other longer races, we we've, we've a couple times we just put a little what we call fast packs, like mm. very small twenty liter packs that you can run with, yes. with these uh, very light tents and sleeping bags. And basically, we've done it. We've run the Wild Coast a couple times. So looking to do that again. I'm super keen to run the Wild Coast end to end. I've done sections of it, but not not the whole thing. 
Okay. Well, I can say from experience, I know that trial running is one of the best ways to get over your stresses and strains. Unless you've chosen a really, really tough race that's coming up, then it adds more stress. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if you could be your 20-year-old self again and you could change anything, what would that be? I think I'd probably be, uh, I would probably be a little bit more strategic around which industry you go into and, and um, which university subjects to pick. So mm -hmm. I think uh, with retrospect, I probably would have done slightly different subjects and I would have probably done different industries. Um, yeah. And what would that have been? So I think that there's definitely, um, I'm a, a huge fan of Naval, who's a, a thought, a kind of like a techie, startup techie thought leader, um, a bunch of the engineers and sort of startup world uh, follow him. He does, does some really great stuff. And he talks about like, if you can build and sell, um, like those are the superpowers in entrepreneurship. So I've got, you know, d decent selling experience, but I probably would have loved to have more time in the marketing world. So I probably would have done something around sales, marketing, art, something like that, you know, something in the artistic world, and then maybe a little bit more focus on engineering, uh, probably like an engineering or something that enable you to have a little bit more of a solid um, uh, understanding of being able to build things. So I've done a little bit of low code type stuff, but just with the running of the business, you don't have enough capacity to get into that. And it's just okay. busy. So, so yeah, maybe that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're talking about building and code, it sounds like programming. Yeah, well, I mean, you do have, um, I think, uh, different ways. So uh, I think maybe just exploring that world where maybe software, maybe hardware, um, maybe some other areas of stuff. But I do think that that that, that business management is far easier to learn than a technical skill. So I did BCom accounting, mm -hmm. which is kind of like a little bit of the language of business. But I think that is actually what's more valuable as a young entrepreneur is to pick like a domain where you're building something. So that could be anything in like the, the bio, biosciences, uh, you know, uh, engineering, like I said, because it, it, it basically gives you an industry to start. Mm. And then basically you learn on management skills on top of that. Okay. Or you can go the artisan route, like all the Amish people. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> or would that not be anything that you are closely interested in? Not that building. No, I don't think so. Hey, I mean, I think I do. I do have a feeling that I probably need a little bit more like design and art in my life. Uh -huh. um, oh, but um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm a big fan of technology. Okay. So you've read over 500 books, and I suppose by now even more. What would be your number one book that you can recommend to any out entrepreneur out there? Any entrepreneur, okay, so they, I think there are a couple like categories that I put them in. So I think for an early stage entrepreneur, um, I would highly recommend like the discuss, customer discovery or lean startup genre. 
-hmm. So um, I think a, a good introduction you can get if you Google Startup School by Y Combinator, they've got some really good videos over that. Um, the, the books that kind of cover that, uh, Running Lean uh, by Ash Moria is great. I think uh, The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick's great. So kind of I would say as an early stage entrepreneur, customer development is the thing that's really going to, I think, increase the odds that you succeed. I think as more later stage entrepreneurs, um, my favorite two books are probably uh, Traction by Gino Wickman, mm -hmm. uh, the EOS system. So it gives you a really cool, simple to follow framework for building a company operating system. So these are like 10 plus employee businesses. You know, If you're looking for like a, a real system to scale your business, highly recommend looking at that book and just reading, reading a couple of times and actually playing around with it until you, you actually implement a lot of ideas. Very, I think what he does is he simplifies and gives a really great framework of easy to implement practical stuff that'll make your business run well. Okay. The other, the other book I would recommend in that kind of genre is probably like The Great CEO Within by Match Mashari. He's one of the world's top CEO coaches, he coaches people like Sam Altman, the founder of Reddit, uh, those type of people. And, and um, he's written an, a fantastic book that gives you a bunch of really good ideas around um, how is habits of good CEOs that are very practical, as well as how do you build a really good operating company system to scale your business. So is there any book from your side that's in the near future that you will be writing? So we're working, I think what we'll do is we'll, um, we'll put the CEO playbook into a book um, in time, you know, as we codify it more and more. And um, I think the plan is to get that out in the next, next sort of six, maybe 18 months, okay. um, where everything we've learned working with uh, all of these different businesses. That sounds super, super exciting. But Paul, I want to just quickly come back to the question that we had about you being really under control and hardly ever feel like running away. What would be your advice for an entrepreneur that does feel like running away and climbing under a rock? I think it's such a hard question depending on the entrepreneur. But I'll give some experience shares that might just be helpful. So I think that one of them is that if your business is um, really, so, so, so some people, what they do is they're in a bad business. And even though the business is not working, they think if I just stick in a while longer, I'll make this business succeed. And that's not true unless you really are changing stuff a lot. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that if, if you keep doing the same thing and you're stuck in the business, you're going to struggle. Ideally, what you want is these are the things we're going to try to make the business work. And each day and week, you're actually trying new stuff. And I think when it gets to six months and you've actually worked quite far down the list or maybe a year or 18 months and it's still not working, you know, not growing month on month, not being profitable, maybe you need to relook at it and actually try something else. So I think that a lot of entrepreneurs stay in businesses and bad businesses too long. They don't get out or change the direction of the business soon enough. So that would be my one thought around that. If you're looking to run away, um, is the reason you're running away is because it's a bad business and actually your subconscious is giving you some really good advice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you should get out of this failing thing. So maybe you should actually listen and run away in some cases. Okay. Um, 
The other one is if it's just burnout, like you've got too much to do and basically you're not in a good mental space. So, so the, the, my thoughts there are there is, is getting your body really, really healthy um, is probably a good idea. So ensuring that you're exercising, eating well, all of that type of stuff, um, I think can, can go a huge way to managing stress and actually getting you in a positive mind space, you know, just getting that, those hygiene factors of, is my body really healthy? Mm. Um, am I getting enough sleep? All of that type of stuff. Cause I think sometimes that gets bumped down the priority list. If you kind of stuck in a business working long hours and, and actually it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, so you get, getting that healthy is going to be helpful. Um, and then, um, yeah, so the, so the other, I think, aspect of, oh, there's just so many things, oh, this is where there's so much complexity around what's the root cause. So maybe actually the real, advice, real sort of advice there is that actually trying to find out what's causing you to want to run away from your business. Is it that everything's just organized and you've got too much to do? Is it that you're not looking after your body? Is it... Is it the fact that the business is kind of failing and, and you're just not willing to acknowledge that? Mm. So I think once you've got the cause, then then it sort of would make sense to then implement the right solution for that, mm. that cause. Okay. Just getting back to building a healthy body, you've mentioned that you do trail running and all sorts of sports. But from a diet perspective or any other health advice, what would that be? Oh, wow. The murky world of health advice. Goodness gracious. <laughs> um, so uh, I think that for me, what I've been working on is like, what do I just put in my body to, to, to basically um, give it the right fuel that it can, can really operate well. So I'm not a much of a big foodie. I might enjoy the odd nice meal, but mostly I just want to eat food. So I'm healthy. And initially, uh, what I did is I, I kind of looked at the data. Where was the data on longevity? And um, I was influenced by two books, uh, The Blue Zones, The China Study, and then a, another book called How Not to Die. Mm -hmm. um, and all of them were like pretty heavily evidence-based around what is the lifestyle and food that's going to give you um, a long life. Um, and uh, so I put together like I would usually eat around that. And then recently I came across, um, I don't know, he's been getting a lot of um, social media attention, a, a chap called Brian Johnson, yes. um, where, uh, where basically he's been very clever on the marketing side of things. And as a result, but I think most people see him as a little bit weird. Um, but what he's done, which I think is is absolutely brilliant, which is, Let's bring measurement into the whole diet equation. So if we can determine what are the ideal markers in your body, like what your different levels of all the different minerals are, um, what your optimum fat percentage VO max is. And what we do is we, we just say, what's going to, we're going to eat that's going to increase and improve all of those markers in our body. Well, let's do that. So let's take a very like um, iterative scientific approach to it. And I think that's such a cool philosophy. So as I was eating quite similarly to that, where, you know, lentils, lots of lentils, mm -hmm. mostly vegetarian. Okay. But what I've done is taken his diet and basically turned it into a super simple way to do. So I have um, like a very healthy, what I call super porridge, 
which is like a malt bit of porridge sprinkled with like some macadamia nuts, but it's actually made of lentils and broccoli and cauliflower, <laughs> but it tastes decent. And then I just have a smoothie based on a sort of a, a lot of the stuff that, that, he, that he eats. I felt that that's, I'm feeling really good on that. Okay. Um, so that's where I'm at at the moment on the, on the health journey. I just want to quickly come back to, you've said your porridge is fairly decent. What would be the definition? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's never going to be served at any decent restaurant. That's, that's a promise, but it's, it's not disgusting. Like <laughs> I tried his stuff and I was like, oh, this is not great. So I love porridge. I love multibella. I grew up eating like um, porridge for breakfast and stuff. So it, it feels very similar to that. And um, it tastes, I think it tastes pretty decent. I think it tastes pretty close to like a bowl of multibella with some blueberries and goji berries and macadamia sprinkled on. So yeah, decent, mm. like, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to have other people taste it and see okay. what they think. Okay. <laughs> so you're definitely not following a keto diet. Well, weirdly enough, um, it is, um, when I did have um, blood tested, I was mildly in ketosis with this diet. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason being is that if, if, if there's, there's not a lot of carbohydrates. So basically what you're doing is this broccoli, cauliflower, lentils, and basically some apple cider vinegar, um, olive oil, and then a bunch of spices like cinnamon and cumin and uh, cocoa and all of that. Okay. And that's what you're having for breakfast. For lunch, you're having basically um, a nuts, uh, a little bit of pomegranate and beetroot juice, and then um, a pea protein powder. Okay. So majority also not a not a huge number of carbohydrates. And then for dinner, you're having like um, basically salad or some avo things like, and, and butternut. So it's mm. not mm. it's not a, a, a hugely carb heavy diet, mm. but it's, it's definitely not full keto where I'm eating lamb steaks mm. for breakfast and definitely lamb chops for breakfast. Yeah. Not full vegan. Uh, a majority vegan, um, and then I have the odd steak or chicken breast when I go out, uh, when okay. I eat at a restaurant. Okay, so what would be the metaphorical mountains that you still want to climb within the next three to five years? Christelle, I think the, the big big ones is, is, I think, get the business um, sort of countrywide and then global. So I think those are those are two big ones. I think then really start quantifying the impact that we're having on entrepreneurs. So be able to go because people belong to Civitas, they do an extra X number of revenue or X number of profits. So so really getting the hard job on the business side. And then um yeah, on the personal side, I'm kind of interested on like how far you could push this anti-aging longevity stuff. So that that'll be interesting to see how far that can go. And how how much you can slow aging, um, so that's sort of another thing. And then I've got an, a, a bunch of bucket list stuffs on the trail runs and adventures I want to do. So yeah, that that would be cool. So what would be on your bucket list? Well, I think as I spoke earlier, the the Grand Traverse. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, one of the ideas. There's a great book uh, solo by written by a lady called Jenny Tuff. She ran a mountain in every one of the um, continents. Mm-hmm. 
So she did something in New Zealand and something in Europe, and so that'd be kind of cool thing to do. I think that's that's sort of on the bucket list. So yeah, I just I think keeping it interesting, trying new stuff. Okay. <laughs> and on the Grand Drakensberg Traverse, um, are you planning to beat Ryan Sands' record? I don't know. We got to do it over like like five days. <laughs> <laughs> he did it in like forty eight hours or forty two hours. Yes, yes, he did. Okay, so what would be your number one quote to inspire entrepreneurs today? So I think the the idea that has most resonated with me is this idea of keep compounding. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I've tried, I, I, we, we've gone through a lot of the different best practices and everything. And one of the things I tried at one stage was like these habit stacking where basically you do this habit and that habit. And I found that actually what that does is it feels like it busies your life. Um, so I was looking for like what's a way that you can improve but actually also maintain like a sense of space and minimalism in your life. And I came across this idea that uh, what I call a compounding action. So something that you would do once off but you get the benefit for the rest of your life. So I'll give you a practical example. There's an amazing app called Superhuman that basically enables you to halve the time you spend going through your email. Mm -hmm. So I download and install Superhuman, and for the rest of my life, as long as I'm using that app, I'm going to do my email in half the amount of time. So instead of spending an hour on email a day, I can do my email in half an hour. That's something I never have to think about again. Um, a practical example, another example of that is that you want to sleep a little bit better. You could buy uh, basically uh, a temperature-controlled mattress that has been shown to scientifically improve your quality of sleep. You buy that once, and for the rest of your life, you're going to sleep a little bit better without thinking about it. It's not like something you have to do. Mm. So my thing is like make a list of compounding actions in your life and in your business and try just do as many as those because it's kind of like a guarantee. If you just stack enough, enough of those, mm. you're eventually going to hit your goals on productivity improvements, everything just working well. So that's a concept I really love. It's simple and practical, and you can just literally keep stacking those ideas month in, month out, year in, year out. Okay, so what would be your final message to inspire entrepreneurs out there today? Inspire, hey? So I think that one of the, yeah, I think one of the, um, the yeah, you know, what what would result in inspiration? So I think that the the, the probably the the thing there is that it's if you can just find the right mountain to climb, that's the most important thing you can do. I, I worry that some some entrepreneurs they're climbing up the wrong mountain. They're never going to be able to build the business they want to build because they're on the wrong opportunity. And I think that. Ensure that you're on the right mountain. And then the next thing is the journey is just going to be long and hard. It's not like it's not, no one finds this easy. I've sat in, you know, hundreds of these CEO groups and some of the people who are running some of the most successful businesses in the country where they, they're growing, you know, a couple hundred percent a year are also stressed out of their minds and working long hours and finding it really hard and having tough days and boxing with their co-founders, you know? So I do think pick a good mountain. And then I think the big inspiration is that just 
it's just a grind. It's a marathon. 10 years, 20 years of just going at it. And I think if you're on the run mountain and you keep working hard for 10, 20 years, uh, you'll get there eventually. That would be my, my parting thought.